As we open this week in chapter 19 of Matthew, this is lesson 54, and we actually begin a new phase of Messiah Yeshua's ministry. And what we have is the Galilean phase comes to an end, and we get that in the opening verses. So let's read it. It says in verse 1, When Yeshua had finished saying these things, he left the Galilee and went to the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And so in these opening verses, we again see how loved and popular he was among the common people of the land. Wherever he went, he drew crowds of people. But because of the view we spoke of in the commentary, um, they're looking for a king and he's on his way to his death. There will be some who are envious of his popularity and in the next verse, we see some Pharisees come to test him. And when it says he had finished here in the Greek, he had finished his saying, the Greek word is one we're familiar with, it's telos. It means when he had completed, he fulfilled, he'd reached his goal. He had reached his teaching goal in the Galilee. He leaves the Galilee and he goes to Judea and Yeshua will not in his lifetime, in his lifetime, again see the Galilee. He'll not return until after his resurrection. He's been preparing his disciples for the eventuality of his death and now he's on the final journey. He's on his way, it begins. And so the focus of his ministry uh, will remain the same. The preparing of the disciples for the building of uh, community here in Israel and communities elsewhere in the world. But he's going to have a new urgency in his message. His parables will be filled with themes of repentance as never before. We'll get some end-of-the-age themes and some of the most important messages for those living in our times are some of these that follow this uh, as in this next phase of his ministry. And so that we might understand our times, the things that will help us understand the times and the times that are ahead. Verse 3 says, Some Pharisees came to test him and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? This is the second time Yeshua is going to teach on divorce. More importantly, the second time that Matthew will see fit to record this particular teaching on divorce. I mean, th I want you to think about something. Yeshua is out here teaching for three and a half years. Think of how many times he taught and on how many different things he taught. And what we get in our Gospels is just a splattering of what really happened, what he really taught. And so to have a teaching occur twice in the same Gospel should tell us something about divorce, how he feels. To have it occur again, and as the intensity of his teachings increases, it says something about the importance of this teaching, that it would occur twice. Remember, he went through divorce in the early chapters of the book, but here it comes again. And when you think of Yeshua training his disciples to begin community, you maybe can begin to see why this teaching would be recorded twice. Because I can tell you, without marriage, there's no community. The backbone of any community will be strong marriages. That's why you see the furious attack on marriage as an institution as God dictates it in this country today and around the world as well. And it's also why you see this terrible attack on individual marriages. 
If you look through the history where societies, in, uh, where in societies you see that marriage eroded, you're going to see also a steady and quick demise of that society. Where you see divorce, you see children being born outside of marriage, uncared for by both a loving mother and father. You see troubled children. You see poverty and moral decay. And not only that, once you have the breakdown of relationships in a marriage, in a generation, you're going to find that that's perpetuated to future generations. We learn loving relationships and faithfulness from our parents. So if, you don't have, if, so if they don't have a good marriage, then more than likely, unless something dramatic happens in the lives of the children, they won't either. So Yeshua is going to answer this question on divorce, but this time his answer will be a little bit more complete. And the answer will come in response to a very specific question. And if you're familiar with first century thought on divorce, you'd pick up on this by the words of the Pharisees. You'd pick up on this right away. It says, for any reason. These are Pharisees, and they're asking Yeshua if he agrees with one of the prevailing thoughts on divorce of the day. More specifically, which prevailing thought he agrees with. And I want to read the prevailing thoughts. We get them in uh, the Talmud. It says this, The house of Shammai say, A man should divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for unchastity since it said because he found some indecency in her, found in her indecency in anything. The house of Hillel say, even if she spoil his dish, since it said because he has found in her indecency in anything. Rabbi Akiva says, even if he has found someone else prettier than she, since it said, and it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes. And they're all interpretations of Deuteronomy chapter 24 in verse 1. And so what I want you to see is the wide difference of opinion as to what would be, what would constitute an acceptable reason for divorce. And the reason for these varying interpretations is because of this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 24, we have a word that can be widely interpreted. And it's going to require then, since it so, can be, mean so many different things, it has to have a halakhic decision. The rabbis have to end, render a decision on this. Part of the teachers of Israel have to render a decision. And you can see from the above text, they had a wide variety of interpretations of their own. And so again, Yeshua is really being asked, where do you stand on this issue? Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1 through 4. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he has found in her indecency in anything, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, and after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her away from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to remarry her, to marry her again. After she has been defiled, this would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. And so we can see God allows divorce. But the problem with all these interpretation lies in this word erva. And I put the definition up here. 
means nudity, nakedness, shame, uncleanness. See, it has a, a wide variety of meanings. It can mean almost anything, anything indecent, anything disgraceful, any uncleanness in here. So the Pharisees have come to see where Yeshua will weigh in on this matter. Will he decide with Shammai? Will he decide with Hillel, which are the prevailing views of the day? Or will he come up with something entirely different, as did Rabbi Akiva years later? Just someone prettier. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody prettier, so I don't have to worry about that. So. Right, men? I'm helping you. I'm trying to help you guys. <laughs> the problem is these Pharisees have asked, what constitutes a legal divorce? Yeshua answers, how can divorce be legal or possible at all? Because God has made the two one. Listen to what he says. Haven't you read, he replied, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Yeshua answers with a creation narrative. He gives them God's ideal. Hey, this is God's ideal. How God made and viewed this relationship before sin entered the world. God made Adam male and female. They were one. They were a cod. Two parts, but in unity. They were one. This is how God made them. This is how they were in paradise. So Yeshua would seem to indicate there is no reason for divorce. There is no acceptable reason for divorce. At least that's how the Pharisees understood it. Because the answer... Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? In other words, well, if we shouldn't divorce, then why did Moses command that a man give his wife a get and send her away? Get in Hebrew is a certificate of divorce, a written document. See, the problem here is the Pharisees ask about the fallenness of man, but Yeshua answers in speaking of the perfection with, with which God made man, Adam. He made him male and female, one flesh. In other words, before sin entered the world, paradise, the garden, the kingdom of heaven, perfection, that's what Yeshua is speaking of. But the Pharisees make a leap 2,450 years into the future, in the time in the wilderness, God giving instructions on divorce to a fallen world. We have gone from the perfection with which God made the world through time, through, the, through a time in which he had to destroy the world by a flood, except for Noah and his sons, a thoroughly wicked and sinful world, through time, to a time, that God is once again trying to establish a people out of this sinful world. Now listen to what verse 8 says. Yeshua replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way in the beginning. I want to go to Mark, because he, he records this a little bit differently. Mark chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to divorce, a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Mo Mark is writing 
remember, to a different audience than Matthew. And this audience is a Gentile audience who are unfamiliar with the complexities of Jewish law. And so he renders it a little different. He says, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He Notice what he leaves off? For any and every reason. Because they wouldn't have probably been familiar with that. He goes on to say, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Yeshua replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, Yeshua says something amazing here. He says, Moses wrote the law because your hearts were hard. There's something that we fail to realize about Moses, and that he was a mediator between God and Israel, between man and God. A go-between, if you will. The Apostle Paul tells us something about a mediator. Listen to what he says in Galatians 3.19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party. You see, Paul tells us something here that when we speak of Moses as being the mediator of the covenant between God and man and Israel, that we fail to take into account. At least I always did. And that was Moses, while giving the people the commands of God, also appealed to God for the people. He appealed to God in their fallenness. And so we, we could imagine that Moses is speaking to God, receiving some final instructions before Israel enters the land. We might imagine that the conversation between Moses and God went something like this. First God, Moses, I made them male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what I have joined together, let not man separate. There will be no divorce in my kingdom, Israel. And we might imagine that Moses, in pleading Israel's side of the case, said, Something like, oy vey, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Much the same answer the disciples gave. We might imagine that Moses might have said, Lord, the Israelites will not marry if this is the case. You know how stiff-necked the people are. And so God would then maybe said, well... This is not what I really want, but because they are a stiff-necked people and their hearts are hard, write this down for the people, and so we get the instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 24 on divorce. But think about it. After 4,000 years of sinful men, after another 1,500 years of sinful men, the people of Yeshua's day, being as stiff-necked and sinful as we all are, have even circumvented that lenient instruction to make it even more sinful. You can divorce your wife for burning your toast. Just give her a get. Now, men, I know your wives have never burned your toast either, so just. Now, I want you to see that Yeshua tells us that here that the law of Moses, which are those things given after the ten were spoken by God, are subject to the mediation of Moses for the people. They may not be exactly what the Lord wanted. Right? So if we add a new mediator, Yeshua, what does he do? He goes back to the perfection God wanted in the first place. The Torah is not incomplete. It gives us God's ideal for marriage, but it doesn't give it to us in this commandment. 
It gives us in the book of Genesis is where we find it. And you know, we're to know that. As believers in Yeshua being led by the Spirit of God, we should know that. That's God's ideal. Right? Now the next question is, where do we find exactly what God wants from us? Well, we should be led by the Spirit. But listen to what verse 9 says. Let's finish this out. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Yeshua replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So again, here's the essence of what Yeshua is saying. If we just boil this down to the essence. He's saying if you divorce your wife or your husband because you found somebody you like better, or if you divorce her for some frivolous reason like burning your toast, then you commit adultery. Yeshua tells us something about how we are to respond to the idea of divorce. Our first inclination, you know what our first inclination is? We run to the Bible and we do a search on divorce to find out what God says about a legal divorce. Right? Is it, is it legal? I have people come to me all the time and ask me, can I get a divorce because of this? You see, we have to justify this thing so that we, so that we don't have to live with the guilt afterwards. We don't have to live with a guilty conscience. Yeshua, however, does not do that. Yeshua turned to the people and told them what God thought about marriage. He didn't tell them what he thought about divorce. He taught them about, told them what he thought about marriage. And the disciples respond, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And Yeshua replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those to whom it has been given. Yeshua says, not everyone can go through life without being married. And to that we can add, indeed, because it would not be a good idea for most to go through life unmarried. In fact, God commands that we be fruitful and multiply. And so, if we're going to keep the first commandment in the Bible, guess what? Notice Yeshua goes to the very beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden, and he speaks of God's intention for marriage. What marriage was like in the beginning. And, and, and we're going to go to the beginning as well. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18. Then God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Well, there's your answer on whether or not you should stay single. God says, It's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good. God wants us to marry. He doesn't want us to live alone. You see, the fall separated man from woman, from the oneness they had known. Instead of being one, what did they do? They were each ready to blame each other for the sin that they had committed. Marriage renews that oneness and completes a man and a woman into one. Listen to what Rabbi Eliezer said. Any man who has no wife is not a full man, for it is said he created them male and female and he called them Adam. 
I think that sometimes um, we think that there was some space and time between the creation of Adam and Eve. I don't think so because God is clear about how he made Adam. It says he created, in, in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, he says, God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And if we go forward to chapter 5, in verse 1 and 2, it says, This is the generations of Adam. In that day, God created man in the likeness of God. He made him male and female. He created them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In the day they were created. From the very inception of Adam and Hava, they were one. They were Adam. It's what God intended. So we can easily see why Rabbi Eliezer would say, any man who has no wife is not a full man. Because he made them, he made Adam male and female. Now remember, in Genesis it said, it is not good for man to be alone, I will make a help meet for him. You know, when we read that, we don't really get the full impact of what's being said. If we, if we look up a couple of Hebrew words, we can get the full impact. It's actually, the word for help meet is, Ezer, which means helper, and neged, it's two words, which means counterpart, mate. I put up the definition from Webster for counterpart up here. It says, one of two corresponding copies of a legal document, a thing that fits another perfectly, something that completes, complements. Let me give you an example of a counterpart. And th this is my favorite. You have a rear axle on your car or you have a front axle on your car. I don't know which. But anyway, you have a, on a lot of cars, there's a rear axle. And it has two shafts that go out from the center that extend out from the wheels and they drive the car. Those shafts are counterparts. It takes both to complete the unit, to propel the car. Take one away and at best, you go around in circles. Right? The woman came from man, their one flesh. She was taken from his flesh. Listen to verse 21. And the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, if we read that, if we read on, we would find that it was at the fall that really separated Adam and Chava. It was actually sin that separated Adam and Chava, just like it's sin that usually separates us in divorce. However, in God's plan, once we become married, once we a man and a woman become married, they become one flesh again. And as Yeshua says, if they are one flesh, how do you ever separate? Right? Well, Yeshua told the Pharisees, it was never God's intention that once married, man and woman separate. And I don't believe they should have. And if they paid attention to God's instructions, we wouldn't. But we don't pay attention to God's instructions, so we have divorce. We've hardened our hearts. Yeshua said divorce was permitted because of the hardness of our hearts. But it was never the ideal. Now, we get another piece of information from this. 
Think about this. I'm often asked, well, what about polygamy? You know, Jacob, he had multiple wives. And Abraham, he had multiple wives. And we, we see some faiths say that you should be able to have multiple wives. Well, let me just say something about polygamy. Yeshua just answered it for us. He said, the two become one flesh. That makes polygamy less than God's ideal. How can three become one flesh when Yeshua said the two become one flesh? You see, a polygamist is an adulterer too. Now, in the first century, divorce was permitted, but it was frowned upon. I'm going to read you a tradition about divorce from the Encyclopedia Judaica. The rabbi stated, whoever divorces his wife, even the altar sheds tears. Therefore, she should not be divorced unless, as the Torah says, he found something obnoxious about her, an expression whose exact meaning was subject to of a dispute between Hillel, Shammai, and Akiva, which we already read. I want you to think about something. If we kept this oneness in mind as we chose our husbands and wives, if we remember before marriage that we're going to cleave to our mate, in other words, we're going to be stuck to our mate. We probably wouldn't have as much divorce. Remember that cleaving you do with your spouse, the altar of God will shed tears if you fail, is the tradition. If we remembered those things, perhaps at least in the church there would be less divorce. Does God allow divorce? Well, yes, he does. His Torah does. But marriage, but divorce like marriage should be taken very seriously. Many times believers get married before they're, before they're even believers. And then maybe only one of them accepts Yeshua, setting up a conflict in the relationship within the marriage. Other times believers get married, two believers get married, but they don't really act by, like believers. There's a lot of that going on, right? Right? They abuse their spouse or they're unfaithful, date or flirt with other people, get hooked up with other people on the internet and so forth, actively search for someone, actively search out other people. These are legitimate reasons for separation or divorce according to Scripture. God permits divorce he's not going to hang you for something he doesn't permit that he's permitted but that doesn't mean he likes it right God's intention from the very beginning was marriage would foreshadow our relationship with him to give us something to see touch resemble the relationship that he desires with us and Shaul knew that and that's why he writes the Ephesians in chapter 5 verse 22 he says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, as Messiah is head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Messiah, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Adam was made first. Woman was taken from Adam. And to show that Adam was the head, wives are to submit to their husbands as we submit to Messiah. And when we have a good marriage where this submission is shown in the marriage, we have a great witness of what God intended. There's a problem, though. And that's what he gets at next. 
He says, husbands, love your wives as Messiah loved the church and gave himself up for, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Messiah does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Messiah and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, we seldom see that in marriage as well, where the man loves his wife as Messiah loves the Kehillah. And so, what does this all boil down to? Does God allow divorce? Yes. Does he allow remarriage? Yes. We just read it. Deuteronomy. It's right there in the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 24. He doesn't want man or woman to live alone. It's not good for man and woman to live alone. Is divorce his ideal? Absolutely not. But as far as divorce, think about this. If you've done everything you can to repair the relationship, and please don't be the judge of that. Let somebody else judge if you've done everything you can to be, re repair the relationship. Get some counseling. But if you've done everything you can to save the marriage and you fail, hey, Scripture permits it. Right? Amen.